Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. This is Mornings with Carmen. Uh, Glad to have you with us this morning on the radio. Thank you, Skillet, for that wonderful wake-up call. This is not Carmen LaBerge, in case you haven't already noticed. Uh, Carmen is away today, and uh, I'm Dan Darling. I'm VP of Senior VP Communications for the NRB. I worked with uh, the ERLC for many years. I'm a pastor here in the Tennessee, Nashville area, and an author. And I'm just glad to be here this morning with you to spend some time on the radio, uh, filling in for Carmen. Uh, It's been uh, really uh, a tumultuous um, time in America in the last several weeks, really the last several months with uh, the coronavirus that has really kind of shut down our world, our economy. We've seen uh, over 100,000 Americans uh, die from the coronavirus and then just the the protests and the the awful uh, killing of George Floyd and some rioting and looting and some real uh, unease and unrest in America. So, a uh, good time to gather around the radio and and think through uh, as Christians. You know, how do we believe? What do we think? How do we process these times? And really to rest and trust in the Lord. I don't know about you, but uh, we and our family have been doing a lot more praying. A lot have we've had some really good conversations. Uh, uh, here at around the dinner table, and I'm sure many families around uh, the country and really around the world are doing the same thing. But we're going to have a great morning this morning. We're going to talk about a lot of different uh, issues that are uh, facing Christians uh, in this in this time. Our first guest is going to be uh, my friend Matthew Hawkins, who a uh, former colleague that I worked with at ERC for a long time, uh, and then of course uh, several others. We're going to have uh, Dan Dewitt from Cedarville University. Uh, to come and talk about a unique uh, project he's working on with his family. And then we're going to have uh, someone from Plugged In online to talk about some movies and really uh, some really good content on streaming services and really ask him the question about movie theaters. Are movie theaters going to go away? Are they going to stay here? And then we'll uh, wrap up with uh, Paul Yasek, who uh, has uh, an incredible story. Peter Yasek, who uh, spent time imprisoned with ISIS, uh, an incredible story, and highlight really the plight of the persecuted church. Let's not forget about our brothers and sisters uh, around the world who are facing persecution uh, for naming the name of Christ. But I am grateful to be with you this morning. My name is Dan Darling, filling in here for Carmen LaBerge. Let's uh, have some great conversations on the radio. Well, 
welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Dan Darling, uh, guest hosting for Carmen LaBerge. Glad to be here with you this morning on the radio. And uh, I'm delighted to invite into our conversation my longtime friend uh, and former colleague, uh, Matt Hawkins. Uh, Matt, uh, for many years, uh, was the policy director at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Uh, where we were colleagues together. He's a PhD student at uh, Southeastern, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he's the co-host of a really intriguing podcast, uh, Crossing Faiths. Matt, thanks for joining me this morning. I appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. It's good to join you here. It's been a while, so, but I'm pretty, yeah. I'm pretty excited. I'm not entirely sure Carmen knew what she was doing when she put us together uh, for two segments <laughs> on her radio show. She She might regret that. Yeah, it's 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 a little bit asking for trouble uh, for both right. of us to to just have an open mic here. Uh, <laughs> we we talk we have these conversations all the time, uh, whether uh-huh. or not someone's asking us to do it. So at least yeah, this exactly. one will, will be will be broadcast. But uh, yeah. I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about a, a few things going on. I mean, first of all, um, sure, you know, there's been some conversation uh, online and just uh, you know on social media, but really I think uh, in the news media and other places just about freedom of speech. And I don't want to get into any Uh particular case or op-ed or anything like that, but there's been a kind of a broad conversation about, um, you know, the parameters of free speech, uh, the platforms, the social media platforms, what's acceptable, what's not, you know, it seems like some news organizations, uh, the journalists are a little nervous about some of the op-eds they're running. Uh, People have called for the platforms to censor the president and other public officials. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a complicated issue, right? Because you have private yeah. companies, but then you also want freedom of speech. And so how should Christians be thinking about that uh, well? <laughs> N- nothing, like a, nothing like a complex question for a Friday morning. Yes. Huh? Throw your curveball, um, first question. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Well, I think uh, I think it's important for Christians uh, in America to recognize the trend line we're on. Um, I think we're we're living in a. I mean, twenty twenty speaks for itself as far as uh, the 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 intensity and the uh, volume of crises that we're dealing with all at the same time. Um, but the last several years, I think you've seen this too. Is that um, in the political space, in the public policy space, um, you've seen a shift on, frankly, both sides, the right and the left, um, that are considering many people, many people vocally calling for um, uh, limiting free speech, which is something that has uh, been baked into the American experience um, since the since the Bill of Rights, and that's troubling. We've gone from arguing about issues um, in a, frankly, often not a credible way, not a coherent way. Um, it's kind of, you know, public public verbal versions of food fights um, <laughs> is is often is often the level of our of our po- uh, public and po- uh, political discourse that I know you see as a as a comms guy. Um, but when we start messing with the ground rules, we're not merely trying to advance our own agenda, whatever that may be, we're, we're trying to take the rug out from others, um, who disagree with us. And as, as Christians, there's a real caution here. 
Um, I'm for good governance. I'm for um, uh, issues. I'm, I'm for positions on um, issues that affirm biblical truths. Um, but censoring somebody um, who is an equal citizen, frankly, um, mm. in the self in a self governing nation, uh, is not is not playing by the rules. But more than that, I don't think it reflects um, an acknowledgement of their human dignity. Um, mm. When when I try to censor somebody who disagrees with me. Um, now that said, we've got some work to do to figure this out. I think you agree, Dan, because we mm-hmm. do have lots of spaces again on the political left and the political right. Um, and people who just like to agitate, uh, who are using the free speech, um, it really in, in abusive ways, um, propagating falsehoods, um, in ways that really harm people. Um, and I think, uh, that's something to be really concerned with. And, you know, this, as far as, you know, the social media realm with Facebook or Twitter, look, they've, they're company, they're private companies. Um, they've created successful platforms, um, that millions upon millions of people use. Um, and so I think there is, um, I think there is an added responsibility to try to figure some of this stuff out creatively, um, not embracing censorship. Um, but we, we gotta, we gotta think creatively about this. I I do. What's your response to some of this? Well, I think you're right. I think we have a free speech issue here, but we also have private companies, so it's very complicated. And also, your word, I think, is important that uh, Christians, just because we have free speech and we have these platforms, doesn't mean that we should uh, disregard when the when the Scripture calls us to have to speak with grace, to speak, yeah. uh, you know, uh, truth and love, uh, to balance uh, having a word for every man for the hope that lies within us. It says in First Peter three fifteen, but also uh, doing it with gentleness. And kindness. This is a really important conversation, and I think I want to continue this. We're going to have a short break here, and we're going to be back with uh, my friend Matt Hawkins, and I'm going to ask him uh, a couple more questions about uh, church reopenings and uh, about a Supreme Court case that uh, I think Christians should be paying attention to. So, so we'll be back, be back on the other side with more with Matt Hawkins on uh, Mornings with Carmen. This is Dan Darling filling in. And welcome back to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. I'm Dan Darling, uh, Senior VP at NRB, guest hosting for my friend Carmen. I'm glad to continue our conversation with my friend uh, Matt Hawkins, who is a PhD student at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, co-host of a really important podcast called Crossing Faiths, and a former colleague at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. So, Matt, we were talking... uh, before the break about free speech issues, I want to pivot mm-hmm. a little bit and just talk about, I think, some of the growing conversation uh, uh, in this time of coronavirus about churches reopening and religious liberty. And it's a complicated yeah. issue, right? Because, Definitely. uh, you know, the, the churches, church shutdowns were not exclusively targeted to churches. It was, it was society wide in order to, uh, reduce the spread of the coronavirus. Uh, and yeah. yet there have been some, uh, cases where churches, you know, maybe we're singled out or maybe we're not thought of fairly. There's been some court action, some, you know, governors uh, and mayors backing down. So as we start to open up, there's increasing conversation now uh, saying, well, if if we can gather all these people uh, in these protests downtown, which are 
really important protests and are necessary yeah. in this country. Uh, why cannot we not gather and assemble as people? How should we be thinking about this as we open up? How should we be thinking about religious liberty uh, for yeah, our churches? Sure. Yeah, well, I think in the, I mean, we're, we're almost down the street from each other uh, in Middle Tennessee, and I think um, I think I'm fairly hopeful that our experiences, probably like most churches around here, is that uh, our pastors are uh, thinking critically about how to do this. We recognize a heavy desire um, to gather again uh, and worship together un under one roof, um, but recognizing that we do have um, uh, an obligation, I think, um, to collaborate with public leaders in the midst of a public health crisis. Um, uh, now, how we do that is is a sticky wicket, and uh, I think you're right. We have seen some, uh, you know, some prominent uh, situations um, with some governors, with some mayors, where I think in uh, churches were unfairly uh, targeted, or at least the enforcement uh, on churches has been has been unfair. Um, for example, when uh, churches started doing outdoor, you know, in-car, you know, drive-in mm -hmm. worship services, uh, those are very clearly uh, really easy to keep social distancing while conducting that kind of service. And yet, uh, was it Kentucky? Um, I think this went away yeah. several weeks ago. Um, you know, you had, you know, more police cars <laughs> responding to the issue than right. were actually uh, church goers gathering for worship um, and and we've seen you know conflicts between the Hasidic Jew community the Jewish community in New York City um, which is also complicated uh, so I think you have some outliers where uh, you know there have been some some fumbles of the ball so to speak um, but look if we're entering a situation where uh, we have quote unquote uh, flattened the curve which means uh, hospitalizations have not been mm -hmm. uh, have haven't haven't uh, expended all the resources of of hospitals uh, in various locations. This is a this is going to be a regional and a and a city by city kind of situation. Um, every every city I think is going to have the different timeline. Um, uh, you know we do need to figure out how to social distance and go on with our lives. Um, and I think uh, by at this point in the pandemic, you know, we have decent guidelines from the CDC, you know, a social distance when you can't social distance, wear a mask, you know, if you're feeling symptomatic, stay at home. Um, and if they're going to be, you know, allowing permitting protests, um, which, you know. I'm extremely sympathetic for um, in, in the context of the peaceful protests. Um, and if, you know, places like casinos are opening and other places where people gather, right. um, there's no reason churches can't do it either. At the same time, I, I think you see, I'm, I'm sure your church is doing the same thing. You're trying to accommodate, uh, facilitate the worship while also uh, balancing public health and mm -hmm. trying to accommodate uh, social distancing. Uh, and uh, this weekend, my church is, <clears throat> is doing that for the first time. Uh, and so I think it's worthy to be uh to pray about, um, that churches can and do this and really, uh, pray for unity among churches, man. Um, Absolutely. pastors, I know you're a pastor, you're, y'all are hearing it from all different sides. Uh, everybody's got an opinion on, on how 
we ought to treat the coronavirus thing and then get back to work or not get back to work. And, you know, even and, you know, this is not just within a, in a church, but within a small group, you're going to have families who are mm. going to make different kinds of decisions, uh, respective of their own families and their own obligations to care for, you know, even if they're not, uh, at a, in a, an at-risk population, they may have responsibility to care for someone uh, in their family who is in an at-risk population. And so we're going to, and their folks are going to make those calculations differently. Um, and the timing's going to be different. So we need to really extend each other a lot of grace uh, during this time. That's such a good word. We do need grace uh, for each other where, where people fall on, on uh, you know, their, their feelings and their, you know, the way they approach the coronavirus. I want to ask you one more question bef- before our conversation is over. There's, there's an important Supreme Court case. Um, yeah. You know, even though all this stuff is going on, the Supreme Court is still uh, hearing cases and, and making de- really important decisions uh, for our culture. And there's an important case. Uh, it's it's Fulton versus versus the city of Philadelphia, which yep. has to do with uh, adoption agencies and particularly yeah. faith based agencies. And uh, do they retain um, their religious freedom to operate according to their uh, their religious principles? And uh, this is a really important case. Explain the parameters of that and why Christians should <laughs> be paying attention to it. Sure thing. Well, this goes back several years. It's an issue on which that you and I both uh, worked on uh, mm-hmm. when we were at the ERLC years ago. Um, it's one of the fallouts, frankly, of um, of the legalization um, <clears throat> by the Supreme Court of uh, of same sex marriage, and so any that sends out ripple effects to any plausible policy, public policy that touches on marriage. Um, even, even notwithstanding disagreements on, uh, on the same sex issue, same sex marriage. Uh, the fact is when you, when you change marriage law, that has ripple effects because definitions of marriage and, uh, responsibilities of marriage, uh, contracts and all that kind of stuff, uh, really touches a lot throughout as far as public policy. And one of those things is, uh, adoption and, uh, what we saw coming down the pike was that um, the activists who um, wanted uh, same-sex marriage um, really want everything um, and all the rights, um, they, in their view, that uh, heterosexual um, marriages have, uh, and that includes the right to adopt. Um, now, the different situation is, the question is whether uh an adoption agency is required uh, to place children with uh, same-sex couples, or frankly, any you know any couple that doesn't fit in their uh, their um, definition of marriage. Uh, in many cases, in this case, um, Christian and Catholic um, adoption agencies, in particular, believe about marriage, um, and. Congress had an opportunity, has had opportunity for years now to pass legislation that would have resolved this at the federal level. Uh, they called it the Child Welfare Inclusion Protection Act, which is not a great acronym, uh, but it does get <laughs> at the point uh, that we're trying to pr- uh, protect child welfare organizations. Um, we're trying to keep that space inclusive. Um, and at a time, you know, I mean, we're, we're in the pandemic situation here. Uh, but remember that we still have an opioid crisis, um, that, uh, really spiked the need for adoptions, um, from coast mm-hmm. to coast. We need more, uh, one, one argument, uh, is that we need more child welfare workers and organizations on the front lines. Uh, not less, and religious adoption agencies uh, hold the in, in most states uh, run the bulk of adoptions in this nation. Um, mm. 
And so uh, the Supreme, it's going to be up to the Supreme Court because Congress couldn't get their act together uh, to, right. to find a compromise through this. Um, and what the legislation like Child Welfare Inclusion Protection Act uh, did was just keep the playing field leveled. Uh, there are adoption agencies that uh, do place children with same-sex couples, and that's okay. Um, for them to be able to do that uh, because same-sex marriage is the law of the land. Um, at the same time, we also recognize birth mothers have a right to place their child with a family who share their beliefs mm. and values. And that That's includes exactly working right, with yeah. an agency that also shares their beliefs and values. Um, so we need to keep in mind not only uh, the, uh, the children, obviously, um, and adoptive families, but birth mothers have a big place here. And we ought not forget their rights um, to place their children and do what's best for them uh, in their view. That, that's exactly right. We want to, we, we don't want to push out uh, agencies that are helping alleviate this real orphan and adoption crisis in our country. So that's an important Supreme mm-hmm. Court case, Fulton, Fulton versus the city of Philadelphia. Uh, we want to be paying attention to that. Uh, Matt Hawkins, thank you for joining me today uh, to help us think through all those questions. My good friend and former colleague and uh, blessings to you. And uh, on the other side of this, we'll have more important conversations on mornings with Carmen. This is Dan Darling filling in. Welcome back. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. I'm Dan Darling filling in for my good friend Carmen, and uh, we're excited to have you on the radio this morning. Uh, After after the news break, we're going to have Dan DeWitt, who's a worldview professor at Cedarville University. He's also the uh, author of the popular blog Theo Latte. We're going to talk about the gospel of Stan Lee. Yes, the gospel of Stan Lee uh, and how we can uh, see spiritual themes in some of these Marvel movies. And then also about a really unique uh, project he's working on with his kids traveling through uh, Route 66 and memorizing a verse from all 66 verses of the Bible. A really great idea that I want to ask him about. And then we'll just talk in general about how to teach kids uh, Christian orthodoxy, how to share the faith, pass the faith from generation to generation, something very, very important to all of us who are parents. Uh, Meet us on the other side with my good friend Dan DeWitt from Cedarville University uh, here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm Dan Darling, VP at NRB, filling in uh, this morning. It's true, I've written a few books, but actually, I'm really not an author. I'm just a storyteller. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I love telling stories because they show that God is working an intricate plan in each and every person's life. And when you live with 60 teenagers at a time, you're never short on colorful stories. Some of these stories have already come to a resolution. Others are still in the middle of a difficult chapter. And some will never know the full story until we reach to the other side of eternity. It's possible you're in that hard place too. And if your family's story isn't turning out how you want it, remember, God is the greatest author of all. And don't give up. He's not finished writing your story yet. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find encouragement through articles, books, and more at ParentingTodaysTeens.org. Or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store.
Good morning and welcome back to Mornings with Carmen uh, on Faith Radio. We're so glad that you've joined us this morning. Hope you've had your coffee and are huddled around the radio, whatever you're doing. And uh, we're having some really great conversations here. My name is Dan Darling. As you can tell, I'm not Carmen. I'm Dan Darling, Senior VP at NRB and uh, previously uh, worked for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. And I'm glad to fill in this morning for Carmen. And I've got on the line... uh, Dr. Dan DeWitt, who's a professor of worldview at uh, Cedarville University. He's a uh, published author. He's got many books, uh, some creative, really creative stuff, and uh, host of the popular website Theo Latte. Uh, Dan, thanks for joining me this morning. Absolutely, Dan. Great to be with you. And so you're not joining me from Cedarville this morning, actually. You're joining me from somewhere along Route 66, somewhere. Uh, yes. Ha- and you've got a unique project that you're working on with your kids. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about why you're on Route 66? And also, have you had your coffee yet? <laughs> Man, I am dying. I need coffee. Someone needs to come and help me. I am uh, in Oklahoma City. We drove here from Springfield, Illinois yesterday and hit several stops along Route 66 on the way. And um, I just need some coffee, though. I, am, I might die. <laughs> well, get get yourself some coffee, and I, I love the the thing you're doing with your kids. Where you're on Route 66, and if I'm uh, not mistaken, you're uh, memorizing a verse from each uh, book of the 66 books of the Bible uh, along your your journey. So, tell me about this idea, and and uh, I think it's a unique uh, approach uh, with parenting and, and and children. Yeah, so it really I've always wanted to do Route 66, and growing up, you know near Springfield, Illinois. There's a part of of Route 66 that passes through Springfield. Um, It goes up to Chicago and then, of course, goes all the way down to Los Angeles. I've always wanted to do it. My my twin, I have twin boys who turned 13 years old in October. And um, right before their birthday, my mom said to me, is because I guess this is now a thing, she said, what is their 13th birthday trip? And I guess a lot of people are doing that now. And so I started thinking through, you know, that would be fun. Not that you have to do it, but I thought, you know, we'll do Route 66 this this summer. So we just went ahead and blocked out two weeks. And um, as I prepared for it, I was trying to think through some ways to make it even more meaningful. And it occurred to me, you know, there are 66 books in the Bible. And um, we're not actually memorizing a verse, although that would be great. But what I've done is taken a verse out of every book of the Bible and we're reading six verses a day over the mm. period of 11 days. So we'll work through all 66 books of the Bible. And um, we're reading them together, two, two verses at a meal a day. So that's, you know, two at breakfast, two at lunch, two at, at dinner. And then we're talking about how do these verses fit into the big picture of the Bible. I love that idea. I really do. It's, it's so creative. Another creative thing you're doing is you've been doing Facebook Live readings of some of your books. Uh, if you're not aware, Dan is a, a, a really successful author, and he's got uh, books for children, and, and one of them is called The Dragon in the Drain. Uh, and that has seemed to, to take off really well with, with reading these books, especially during this time of uh, quarantine. And so tell us a little bit about the book, The Dragon in the Drain, and, and really uh, what, what, how parents can can read to their children and really increase their learning. Yeah, you know, the Bible is filled with amazing stories that are not only amazing, and they're filled with all the kind of epic stuff that kids love, right? But not only are they amazing, they're true. 
And so I, the first thing I want to say is we don't have to— um, we don't have to add to the Bible, you know, kind of add in a superhero mm. character or something like that to make the Bible relevant or meaningful. Um, however, <laughs> having said that, I, I did um, tell my kids a dragon story a long time ago, and it, it became something that we just kind of kept feeding into, and we had fun with it when my twins were little. We now have two other children, another mm. son and a daughter. And um, it all began with a drain— in the middle of the uh, the field, in the middle of campus at Southern Seminary. And I mm. told my kids, a, a dragon lives in that drain. And so over time, <laughs> we would go and f- visit the dragon. We would, you know, feed the dragon. And I thought, you know, it'd be fun to just kind of take this creative hook that my kids are interested in. And how do I connect that to something that they would be less interested in? And so the history of Southern Seminary is a history about what is orthodoxy, um, how to defend it, how to articulate it. And so I made the dragon story about James, who lives in the dragon, who defends orthodoxy. And since then, my kids have come to expect a dragon story every year. And so I do the same thing. The next year I did a, a dragon story about the dragon who lives in the Windy City. And his name is mm. Shafe. And he, um, he defends the magic, the silver bean, that if you look into it, you see your true reflection. And so I made that dragon story. It was inspired by the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy. And um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, I think that often if we could find a way to get our kids interested in something and then use it as a way just to point them to truths of Scripture, I found that that could be really, really helpful and a lot of fun. Yeah, such a such a creative way to teach our kids orthodoxy and and really taking seriously the the job of parents, right? To to pass uh, our faith on down to our children, such an important role. If you see through Scripture, uh, just always there's reminders and exhortations for parents to pass the story on to the to the next generation. So that's such a creative way. I encourage all of you if you have children or if you don't. Uh, look up Dan DeWitt's books, particularly this book, The Dragon and the Drain. Uh, Dan's going to join us on the other side of this break, and we're going to ask him. He has a, a really interesting blog post uh, up recently called The Gospel of Stan Lee. If you like Marvel movies, uh, yep. you'll want to stay tuned on the other side of the break to join us with more with Dan DeWitt on Mornings with Carmen. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. This is Dan Darling uh, filling in for Carmen, who's away today. And uh, joining me uh, is Dr. Dan DeWitt from Cedarville University. Uh, And if if you just if you recognize that, that was the Avengers theme song. And we did that in order to lead in to talk to Dan about a really, uh, I think, provocative blog title that he has on his blog, Theo Latte, called The Gospel of Stan Lee. Uh, if you know Stan Lee's kind of the genius behind the Marvel series, and uh, Dan, tell us uh, about this and how you you kind of saw uh, gospel echoes in in some of Stan Lee's work. Yeah, well, you know, one of the things I, I love about the Marvel movies is how patient they've been in developing um, their story arc, and so you get to Endgame. And you see all these little pieces that they've hidden along the way over a lot of years in order to make it all come together. 
And it's it's a reminder that it takes a lot of forethought and a lot of genius power to be able to pull that kind of thing off. And that reminds me of the Bible. The, but the Bible doesn't have, you know, one editor. It doesn't have one kind of team managing it. The Bible is written by numerous authors over hundreds of years in different languages, and yet one cohesive story, um, a beautiful, beautiful picture of redemption. And the, the scene that stood out to me, um, that for me was really an echo of the gospel, was um, we were watching Thor Ragnarok the other day, and um, Stan Lee makes an appearance in every single Marvel movie. Even now that he's passed, they still, you know, digitally have a, a CGI Stan Lee show up and everything. And it was a scene where Stanley is the barber. He cuts Thor's hair. Thor doesn't want a haircut. He's kind of imprisoned, and Stanley's the barber who gives him a trim. And later, um, Thor mentions the barber kind of in a passing comment. And my son, Isaiah, said, well, Stanley's a lot more than the barber. And his point was, you know, Stanley's the creative mind behind the universe that this character inspired from Greek mythology, Thor, um, this Marvel character is living in the universe created by the guy who just cut his hair. And that reminds me of something mm -hmm. else. Um, C.S. Lewis shared the gospel in a way saying that, you know, we relate to God, not the way we would relate to another object in the physical world, like a tree or um, a book or something like that, but rather the way that a character in a play would create to the author of the play. And Lewis said, for example, Shakespeare could never know Hamlet. Or Hamlet could never know Shakespeare. I have it flipped. Mm. Hamlet could never know Shakespeare on his own. He lives in the world Shakespeare created. The only way Hamlet mm. could ever know Shakespeare is if Shakespeare actually wrote himself into the story. Mm. That's such a really important point because it, it does seem like at sometimes you know we are Hamlet and we don't acknowledge the author of the story, right? That we think we yeah. created our own story uh, in such a creative way to teach that. Uh, to, to children. Uh, talk to me for a second and talk to parents for a second about ways that we can do this uh, while uh, consuming culture, while watching movies, while reading good stories, why it's important yeah. for us both to really read good literature and watch really important works of art, but also how we can uh, constantly find some of those themes and echoes that really, uh, really point us back to the author of our own story. Yeah, I think one of the ways, I mean, of course, this gets into what could be heated conversations um, between parents or at least careful conversations about what exactly is appropriate at what time. I'm going to just put a pin in that part of the conversation, which is important, but just ask the question, whatever you feel comfortable with letting your kids, you know, enjoy, um, if you can look for, and whatever the media is, um, is it looking for, is it optimistic or is it? pessimistic? Is it looking for some form of redemption? Is it valuing things like heroism and sacrifice? Or does it look at mainly depravity, um, the fight to survive, um, glorifying kind of the bad guy who's able to conquer mm -hmm. through sheer might? Um, those are kind of two big camps you can lump every worldview into in, in many ways. Um, is it either optimistic or pessimistic? And if it's optimistic, and most good movies are Marvel, Star Wars. I mean, mm -hmm. we can go through um, the list. Um, if it is, then you could say, look at the, what worldview would make sense out of this kind of hope? 
what worldview would make sense of this sense of purpose, of the sense of right and wrong. And I found those categories are easy ways to say, really, it's only the Christian worldview that gives a foundation for optimism. If the universe ends in despair and heat death or something like that, there's no, no reason to be optimistic. Um, but if there's actually some good reason to hope for redemption, then this is a story that is powerful because it's pointing to a truth that is only made sense of from a Christian perspective. Yeah, yeah, that's really great. And it, it, it seems important that if we and if our children and, and our family, if we know the Christian story so well, that storyline, that uh, we start to see it everywhere, even in mm-hmm. places where we wouldn't suspect it, right? I mean, I think of just the way that our minds tend to background and foreground things. A, a few uh, few months ago, we were thinking about buying a Jeep. We, we didn't end up doing that. We were thinking about buying one. And it's amazing. We're having these conversations. Everywhere we went, we saw all the Jeeps that people were driving. <laughs> we wouldn't have seen them before. And I, yeah. it seems like that's the same way with uh, knowing the Christian story, that if we know that so well, when we consume movies and all this stuff, it's just we can't help but see uh, that that worldview bubble up, right? Yeah, you know, it, it, it reminds me, G.K. Chesterton said something like um, that talking about Christianity may mean talking about the gospel or talking about everything, <laughs> because there's a way that everything um, points back to the fact that we live in God's world. He's written his moral law on our hearts. We're created in his image. We, we are— um, aghast when we see something as horrific as um, what has happened through police brutality in recent days. Why are we aghast at that? Because every person has dignity and intrinsic worth because we're created in God's image. So even what's in the headlines today is a reminder, all of this makes sense when you're looking through the lens of Christianity. That's such a good word. Uh, Dan DeWitt from Cedarville University and somewhere on the road on Route 66 with his family. Uh, Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Do us a favor, do everyone a favor, and get yourself some good coffee while you're on your trip. Uh, (laughs) And uh, everyone else listening, you do yourself a favor and visit Theolatte.com and check out Dan's books. He has some fantastic uh, books on Christian worldview for adults and some excellent books for children done in just a really creative way. Check out Dan DeWitt's work. We're going to be back on the other side of the hour uh, talking movies again, more movies with uh, someone from Plugged In Online and then talking with Peter Yasek about uh, the persecution of Christians overseas. This is Dan Darling filling in for Carmen LaBerge on Mornings with Carmen. Glad to be with you today on the radio. Welcome back to the radio. Uh, I'm Dan Darling, Senior VP at NRB, and uh, here filling in for my good friend Carmen LaBerge, who's taking some needed time away on Mornings with Carmen. I've had a good time this morning on the radio. I don't know about you. I love radio. I grew up uh, listening to radio my whole life. My parents actually didn't have a TV. Uh, uh, They wanted to 
to just not have a TV. So we, I, I basically listened to the radio and read books. And so, you know, Christian radio growing up, Moody radio in Chicago and sports radio and talk radio and all sorts of stuff. So it's really fun to, to be here and fill in for Carmen on the radio here with, uh, Paul Perot, who's the producer who, uh, is in the background making me look good. Uh, I try and, my best, you know, and I'm hope it's working, yes. you know, <laughs> You've got to know how excited he was to play that Avengers theme song. <laughs> um, if you could only see him, you know how excited Paul was. Paul, that that was that was a highlight of your morning so far, wasn't it? Well, actually, Route 66 was. I like Avengers. Don't get me wrong, but uh, playing old TV theme songs is kind of fun for me. I, I unfortunately, yeah. unlike you, I grew up watching too much TV, so yeah. a lot of reruns and all that. So yeah. Well, I did. You know, eventually when. It was okay to have TV. We did catch up uh, <laughs> and, and, and consume quite a bit. We've got a really good hour ahead of us, though, after, after this, and uh, excited about uh, listening to um, uh, some friends of ours from Plugged In to talk more about culture, some streaming uh, options, and, and what's good for families. And then with Peter Yasek, who has an interesting story about being captured and imprisoned with ISIS and talking about the persecuted church and his experience there as well. You're not going to want to miss it. Uh, on the other side of this break, uh, we'll be back here with Mornings with Carmen. I'm Dan Darling, uh, Senior VP at NRB, filling in this morning. Glad to be with you. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.